0: Hi, this is Sarah Lewandowski, Senior Editor of Advantages Magazine, and today we proudly welcome Luke Williams to the podcast. Luke Williams will be the keynote speaker at the ASI Show in Chicago in July. Luke is a professor at NYU Stern School of Business, founder of NYU Innovation Labs, and CEO of Meta-Idea Labs, an innovation strategy consultancy. He is the inventor of over 30 US patents and has designed more than 100 products in industries ranging from transportation to finance and healthcare to consumer electronics. He has worked with leading companies across the globe and is a dynamic and sought-after keynote speaker, having lectured in 21 countries. He has also addressed the United Nations General Assembly and the World Innovation Forum. His views are regularly featured in media, ranging from Bloomberg Businessweek and Fast Company to The Wall Street Journal and The Economist. He is the author of the international bestseller, Disrupt, Think the Unthinkable to Spark Transformation in Your Business. So with that, Luke, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Sarah. Pleasure to be with you.
0: Of course, thank you so much. So let's start from the top. What is disruptive innovation, and how did you get your start in this field?
1: Well, you know, I I started in a field. My background is uh, product design, so you know, I started as um, in a in a field called industrial design, which always has it's always misunderstood. Industrial design. Uh, you know, people think you design forklifts and factories, mm-hmm. but you know, industrial design is basically trying to you know create uh, you know basically everything that surrounds us in the material world. So you know, the phones that we use, the com- the laptop computers, the cars that we drive, you know, all of the, all of those things are sort of influenced and shaped by industrial designers or product designers. So um I was in Australia, as you can tell, the accent is not mm-hmm. American. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, in Australia. um I was just eager to. In Australia, I think you can have a very good marketing career, but you're often working on products that were where the design decisions were made elsewhere, so where the bigger manufacturing bases were. So I was very keen to get overseas, particularly to America, uh, to have sort of more input on, on these products when they were sort of at their conception. So, uh,. To cut a long story short, I ended up um, getting my dream job at a company called, uh, a consultancy called Frog Design. Uh-huh. And Frog Design got famous for working with uh, Sony initially. They worked behind the success of uh, Sony, like the uh, early studies of the Sony Walkman, the Trinitron TV. And what happened with that is, um, you know, a young founder of a company called Steve Jobs, Uh, wanted the same success for this company called Apple that he thought uh, that Sony had had with um, the design language and the um, the amazing design of all their products. So he sought out the firm that did all that design. And he he basically, and that was a small firm called Frog Design in Germany, and he brought them to America. And uh, Frog Design really got their start in America designing a lot of the um early apple products and coming up with a language called the snow white design language which is is still in use today on many uh, apple products so i uh, i got a job there and started in silicon valley and um from there i sort of became a creative director and started working uh with just about every conceivable industry and um what I what I started noticing there, I, you know everyone was about differentiate or die, because I think a big part of sort of getting out of the commodity trap where you're only competing on price is, is seeking differentiation. But there was a lot of sort of uh, shallow differentiation going on. So just these sort of um, you know superficial kind of novelty. And I got discouraged by that and I found clients wasting a, a ton of money on these sort of superficial changes when what they really should have been doing is, is maybe looking at more fundamental changes to their underlying business model, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's what got me into uh, academia and I started uh, teaching at NYU at the business school and trying to work out uh, how to how to engage with people in Uh, on innovation issues in a much, much deeper, more strategic way.
0: So now what does disruptive innovation look like or what might it look like for companies in this industry, in promotional products?
1: Well, I think disruptive innovation, the way it was originally um, sort of defined was it was about sort of coming in at a lower cost offering, so you're coming in with um, you know sort of new way of doing things which dramatically lowers the cost for example but i now now think that the notion of disruption has expanded, and it could be you you might be coming in with a much higher cost than anybody else for example but as but if it's affecting the sort of co- competitive dynamics of your segment category industry you know that would have, that would be a disruption so I think um you know i I normally stick to the definitions between if you're only making incremental change, you know, to your existing sort of product service or business model, you're doing what we call sustaining innovation. So you might be incrementally sort of improving your current product service or business model and and that's great. And you're getting a you know, you're growing a little bit each year from doing that. But there's another form of innovation which is Necessary for sustainable growth in the long term. And that, and that is, you know, what we often refer to as disruptive innovation in the broader sense of the term. And that is not just incrementally improving your current offering. It's completely coming up with new offerings, new products, services, new business models that you or anyone else in your segment category industry may not have tried before.
0: Okay, great. And you know, and you brought this up a few minutes ago, promotional products is a very creative industry, but it also tends to be commoditized. And you had brought that up. It's crowded with with companies, everyone sells basically the same products. So it's really easy for companies to get stuck in this reaction mode. And like you had mentioned, try to compete by selling on price only. What would you say to business owners in this industry who feel stuck, reacting just reacting to their day-to-day operations? How can disruptive innovation help them get unstuck and actually take back control of their business?
1: Yeah, you know, I often it's it's a very difficult thing to do. I think one of the biggest challenge for, well, not just the, you know, promotional product industry, but basically every business out there and this is a perennial challenge. You know, if you go back through the management literature the last 50 years, they were talking about it then. In some ways, I, can't, I still can't believe we're talking about it because it just means, you know, we haven't solved this dilemma. Mm-hmm. But the dilemma is, for every business, how, how everyone has to, in that business, particularly the leadership, has to play this hybrid role between keeping the existing business running, so delivering today, and keeping up with all the stuff they've got to do to keep that existing business running. But at the same time, they have to be making sure that they're building capabilities and options for their future. And Because we have to remember that what's going to make you successful in the future as a promotional products business you know, it might not be the same set of capabilities or competencies that are making you successful right now. And it's right. a very difficult thing to do. There are different metaphors for this. Like some people call it, you know, you can't change the en- engine on a 747 <laughs> aeroplane when it's in the air. Or, you, <laughs> you know, if you're a car mechanic, you don't want to stick your hand in an engine that's running in order to change the fan belt. Mm. But this is exactly the dilemma. And it's... Very difficult because I think the commodity what we call the commodity trap often happens when we're only engaging in delivering today. Right. So we're only we're we're only we're we're keeping a very close eye on all the other competitors that are offering the same product. It's like Kodak watching Fuji very carefully or you know, General Motors watching Toyota very carefully. And we're we're constantly sort of benchmarking and evaluating ourselves on what others in this field are doing. And then suddenly, you know, what we don't realize is the we're on a path when we do that. And that path becomes narrower and narrower by the day. And it's inevitable that we're gonna reach the end of this path at some point where we cannot make any further incremental changes to our existing product, service, or business model. And by the time we do reach the end of this path, you know, our customers have forsaken us for a new offering that absolutely nobody saw coming. Mm-hmm. And what happens when that occurs is all of a sudden new competition sort of uh, comes up seemingly out of nowhere. So all of a sudden you've got these non-traditional competitors all sort of going after, you know, your customer. And and I often refer to it as, you know, it's, rest, it's, it's all about... Uh, coming up with new recipes, not just more cooking. Mm-hmm. And once a new once a new recipe is established, uh, you know a lot of other people can cook that recipe. So in promotional product industry, it's the same thing. You know, you have all there's a there's a certain industry dynamic at the moment, and everybody's you know uh, competing in a very similar way, and they're all probably benchmarking themselves against one another in that industry. So they're all cooking the same recipe. Now, what what's going to happen is somebody is going to come in and they're going to they're going to find a new way of arranging those ingredients uh, by um, conceiving and uh, establishing a new recipe. And what happens is some of the traditional players in the promotional product industry at the moment may not have the capabilities to cook that new recipe. And what that means is other people with other capabilities, maybe outside the industry, might be able to cook the recipe. And so all of a sudden, um, the, the major players in the promotional products industry might find themselves completely irrelevant.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And that's and that's the scary prospect of disruption. And that's what I'm going to be talking about. Like, how do you how do you get out of this reactive mindset and thinking? Oh, you know, what are we going to do? You know, how do we react to change? And into a proactive mindset where saying, okay, we're going to control this disruption. We're going to be the ones that actually you know, constantly seek new ways of putting our ingredients together in order to uh, come up with new and better recipes. We're going to be the ones that come up with those recipes. We're not going to let an outsider do it.
0: Right. And, you know, th- maybe there's those who um, are okay with the, the the reactivity, right? So what would you say about the importance of disruptive innovation to those who perhaps have been in the industry a long time? They like it as it is. They're comfortable with business as usual. They would say, you know, it's been working for me so far, you know, and as you mentioned in your book, Disrupt, if it ain't broke, why fix it would be their question.
1: Yeah, this is this is a huge uh, cultural issue, Um mm-hmm. Because we have no, we really have no tools for change. And what I mean by that, in the, in the past, and for most of history, ideas always live longer than people. So you could, you could, you know, be born uh, into a sort of culture, you go off and you get get a little bit of an education or you start getting experience in an industry, you wouldn't have to change your ideas for an entire career. You'd just, like, learn the ropes of the industry, and that'd be fine. I mean, you know, many industries, not just promotional products, although it does fit into this category, but banking, finance, insurance, I mean, you know, these ideas, the core ideas that drove, the decisions that were being made in those industries way outlived people but now we're into the position where just about in every industry um, people are living longer than ideas meaning they're having to change you know really the core ideas that are shaping the way they make decisions day in and day out they're having to change those core ideas at least every decade now and in some faster moving industries every five to seven years I mean I often talk about you know the speed of change in something we're all obsessed in with, with which is our phones and you know it wasn't that long ago that we're, we were all addicted to blackberry we're calling it crackberry and all of a sudden <laughs> you know i buy us for someone to put their hand up now in an audience nobody's using a blackberry everyone kind right. of like laughs at it everyone but everyone's now using a samsung or an apple phone which again they weren't even providing phones <laughs> uh 10, 10 short years ago so we all know that we've had to change our ideas in that industry, but when it comes to our own industry we think, Oh no, we'll you know we'll just change our ideas when we need to. Now the, the key part of this is the only the only tools for change that we really adopt, we only change our ideas when they're obviously wrong or obviously obsolete. Hmm, okay. Now that is that dangerous path that uh, if you've got that attitude, you're on that dangerous path I was talking about before. Yeah. Um, because you cannot, you cannot wait until you're backed into a corner in order to change. Right. Um, because if you, if you need the idea when you need it, or if you, you think you're going to have the idea when you need it, it's going to be too late. So what, what um, if, you're, if you're saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, uh, that should be a complete red flag. Mm-hmm. You've got to you've got to find a way of challenging your current ideas, meaning the, and the current way you think about your product, your service, your business model, your value proposition, your customer segment, you know your cost structure, your revenue model, and promotional products. All of those things you've got to be challenging the, those ideas uh, well before they're proven to be obsolete or, you know, out of date, or obviously wrong. And that's that's what disruptive thinking is all about. It's, it's constantly challenging the sort of uniqueness of our point of view and our way of looking at promotional products, for example.
0: Right. And uh, my last question for you, you had actually touched on this a few minutes ago where you said, you know, companies are being forced to kind of um, uh operate in a hybrid manner where they have to you know exist day to day deliver today but at the same time you know build out those capabilities for the long term so how can a company be disruptively innovative while making sure that their team is on board with it and and they're you know with them on the ship that's setting sail and how do they continue to serve clients consistently when they're focused on disruptive innovation well,
1: the first thing to re- the first thing to realise is, you know, your current business is what I call maintaining your continuity. Um, and every, every, you know, and I, I know this promotional products industry is inspiring because it encourages a lot of entrepreneurship. I think a lot of people in the industry are, you know, they're small business owners, they're entrepreneurs. They sort of, you know, they want to want to have some control over their own destiny, and they're, they're um. You know, I really admire the industry for that. Um, I'm a big proponent of um, more entrepreneurship. So I love the industry for that. Mm-hmm. But right. what, what entrepreneurship is all about is introducing discontinuity, meaning, you know, it's you're basically introducing in, into the world a change that uh, will not arise as part of, you know, the natural development of what's happening there right now, meaning, you know, this change isn't going to come from the status quo. So entrepreneurs come in and they introduce something that is a discontinuity. It's something that changes the way everybody's thinking about the industry. Now, what happens when we start to get our businesses running is we forget all about introducing that discontinuity and we we just go into um, maintaining exactly what we've already built. So we hire people to maintain and support the decisions we've already made. Mm -hmm. We hire people to like... Yeah, culture fit, meaning, well, I think I you know, these people share the same view as I do. They look they look like they'll fit in the business and follow my instructions or this whatever is, it is. Right. And what we what we forget is this is doing it a disservice. Um, because we forget that in order to grow our businesses in a sustainable way, it's not only our job as a as a business owner or someone in the business just to maintain uh, our continuity, meaning keep things running as they've been running. It's our job to introduce deliberate discontinuity, meaning uh, constantly introducing ideas, potential changes to the business that might be inconsistent in direct conflict with what we're currently doing. Now, that is a big part of uh, what everybody in the business needs to understand. So we often talk about, you know there's different layers involved even in a small business the most abstract layer is your values layer so what what are you as a business are saying what are your values what are you saying is important to you if innovation is not one of those values then it doesn't it doesn't matter where ideas are coming from uh they're not going to get any traction right. you might have people going to conferences like the one that's uh, coming up in chicago mm-hmm. coming back with great ideas but right. um if you're not valuing change and innovation, none of those ideas are going to get any traction. So it has to be there at the values layer. Now, what I'm real, what I'm realising now is most most businesses have that in the values layer because of the success they've seen of companies like Apple and Google and all these innovative companies. So they're running around saying we want innovation. So the major disconnect is the next layer down, which is your metrics, rewards and incentives. You know, how are you rewarding and incentivizing people in the business to think? How are you rewarding yourself, if you're a business owner, to basically think? I mean, are you are you rewarding uh, Are all your metrics, incentives, uh, and rewards all set up to just maintain the status quo, perpetuate the status quo, or are you actually rewarding people for introducing, you know, constant sort of disruptive thinking and new ideas that, again, might be inconsistent or in direct conflict with what you're like currently doing now? Then I mean, the next layer down is you know how are you organizing yourself like is it a is it a command and control structure or is it more decentralized like if every idea has to go through the boss to you know get get uh get some yes to go forward or experiment with that is a bad situation right <laughs> you know because it needs to be much more decentralized than that in terms Mm -hmm. of how how you keep the flow of ideas running through your your small business.
0: Sure. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Luke. For more valuable insights, make sure to attend his keynote address at the ASI Show in Chicago on Thursday, July 11th. Additional information on registering is available at asishow.com. Thanks for listening.